Guys, welcome back to the second episode of the Note Taker series. Real quick, if you have not listened to the first episode of the Note Taker series, stop what you're doing, go back and listen to the first one, and really think about uh, what Todd talked about of on planning uh, you know, your hunt, whether you're out of state or whether you're in state, um, and just take notes. You know, Even if you think it's simple, even if you think of something you won't forget, take notes on what Todd says because um, you know, I believe that note-taking is something that's very important and maybe something that's kind of lost in a, lot of, in a lot of ways that people kind of just don't think about it. And I believe it's very, very, very helpful. So real quick, make sure you listen to that episode before you listen to this one. If you did listen to that one and you're ready for the second episode, welcome back. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here to take notes and... Uh, learn this week's episode is with josh prophet uh josh is also a repeat guest and um i wanted josh to get on here and talk about uh trail cam usage and finding a target and uh kind of what his process is and what he looks for uh when it comes to narrowing down uh, a target and narrowing down, you know, kind of places to put cameras and, and just kind of learning that buck and where he's bedded and where he's moving and where he's eating. So um, also, when this episode starts, you're going to hear me say that this is the first episode I messed up and was not thinking while recording, and uh, it's uh, obviously the second. So guys, make sure you're taking notes, make sure you're learning, and as always, make sure you shoot me some feedback. I have two Instagram accounts you can reach me on. You can reach me on the Nomad Project Podcast Instagram account, or you can reach me on the Bearded Nomad account, and I will be always happy to talk to people about whatever they're finding or whatever they're learning. Um, I know last week I had a bunch of people message, excuse me, message me, text me, and it really just made my heart full seeing that what I was doing and what was helping people, you know, and uh, that makes me happy and exactly what I wanted this for. So, guys, without further ado, here's Josh Prophet on the second episode of the Note Taker series. Make sure you're taking notes. Enjoy. Thanks, guys. Guys, welcome back to the Nomad Project podcast. This week uh, is the first week that I will be doing the Note Taker series, and this will be the first episode that I will be um, releasing. And I'm super, super excited to really get this started and get in depth on each and every subject that I have going here. Um, and I have all these subjects. Uh, this certain uh, episode will be about early season trail cam strategy, finding a target, and kind of what to do uh, with with your trail cameras, whether you got 10 or you got 70. And I'm happy to have a guy I've had on the podcast on here before who's super knowledgeable about this, Josh Prophet. Josh, are you ready to be a teacher for 30 minutes, brother? Uh, I reckon, man, I'm ready to uh, to get this started. <laughs> All right, brother. 
Well, uh, that's, that's about what I got to say. So you go ahead and, uh, just go through your process and, and start teaching and I'll start taking notes. Well, man, it doesn't, um, it doesn't matter if it's late season, early season. Uh, I always start at the food because, you know, a white tail is, uh, is slave to a stomach. So if I'm, if I'm going to hit a new piece of property and that's actually what I'm doing this fall, I'm going to start, uh, scouting digitally, digitally from home. Um, just looking at maps, uh, different things. And, um, after I kind of figure out which direction I want to head, I will actually go get the boots on the ground and, uh, take it from there. Cause a lot of times what looks, uh, it may look like one thing, you know, on your phone or on your computer, but when, when you get there, the contour lines may be off a little bit or, uh, there just yeah. may be things that you that you can't see on a computer screen that makes a lot more sense in person. Okay. So, man, after you just kind of establish that, man, you go out and you get your boots on the ground. Start, I like to start at food sources. You know, obviously here in the Midwest, we deal with a lot of agriculture. So um, even though I do hunt a lot of public ground, there's still agriculture or state funded food plots but you got some of these guys you know that may not you know have the agriculture like we do but but i'm sure that i'm yeah. sure that they can still find like mass crop as far as like acorns or brows or whatever the deer use in that area but, but to me yeah. man the food is just a lot easier to find than the bedding so that's why i yeah. always start at the food and when it's early season man like uh you know, September or October, you can kill the deer in the morning, but it's more of an afternoon game. To me, my, my opinion, yeah. you know, because their time schedule is, is flipped, you know, their, their, uh, or our evening is their morning. So I would typically rather hunt an evening in early season. Yeah. But man, after you, uh, knock that down and you go out there, just start, start at the food sources. And um, after you find, you know, the sign that you're looking for on your, on the food sources, I do. I like to, if one field, say, 15 acres, I like to probably put two cameras on that field on opposite ends. Which mm-hmm. a 15-acre field, that's a pretty good field. You know, that's a pretty, that's, yeah, that's that a pretty, is. That's a, that's a pretty good-sized field. Yeah, that's a pretty good-sized field. But so just, you know, use your own judgment on that. If you only want one camera, then put one camera if you want to, two so on but after i find that food i like to kind of try to work back um and follow the sign back towards the bedding and Mm -hmm. you you can predict where they bed but you don't ever really know and it's been my experience like the whole um bed to dead thing is real big now the whole uh, killing the deer over the beds is big but it's it's not as easy as what people think it's i've struggled finding the beds and i'm not I'm not yeah. ashamed to admit it. Um, yeah. So a lot of my deer I've ever killed have been closer to the food or more on a travel route, not necessarily right over the bed. But if you can knock down those two key things, especially during an earlier season you know, where the deer is feeding and where he's bedding, it just makes that animal a lot easier to kill. If that makes sense. Yeah. So would you say, would you say, you locating bedding or would be a lot more to just what makes sense to you 
and what make or you know it's still you're guessing but if it makes sense that you you know you're that's more of guesswork than it really is most of the time than just you know actually finding one the the to put things into perspective like when i started killing deer um, almost every year uh the big the curve for me was when i was younger i used to just go into a spot and i felt good about it or it looked good so i hung there and it, man it just didn't work out very good for me so when i started they um started working at the food and working my way backwards and not actually just having a good gut feeling about it, but actually breaking an area down, like trying to figure out the, yeah. what I call the three W's when, where, and why, like, why is this deer, deer here? Like when you really put a thought into it, instead of just taking a guess, it just, your odds just go up so much more. Yeah. So, <clears throat> You know, when, you know, that'd be time of day, where, you know, it'd be location of, you know, where the buck's moving. And then, you know, why is he there? So he's either, he's either there for food or, you know, he's, he's around his core area where he's, you know, bedding up, you know, maybe he's with those, that sort of thing. Would that, would that be, would that be, uh, would you say that would be what that is? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, what time is he there? Uh, where is he coming from? And where is he going? And why is he doing it? If you can answer those three questions in an area, you're probably in a pretty dang good spot uh, because you're taking a lot of the guessing out, and you actually, you know, you, yeah. you actually, you know. So, what is he doing? It. They're just. Uh, <laughs> And they're all different, man. I mean, it's it's still a there's still a lot of guessing that goes on. But if you yeah. can physically find that that bed, or if there's several trails moving into a thicket that's several hundred yards off of an ag field, like that's a that's a pretty heavy indicator. Like, yeah, you may not even need to go in there without knowing that's where they're bedding. Yeah, and I say to start at the food because, man, the food is just so much easier to find. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. It, you know, it, yeah, I definitely like the food, man. I, um, I'm not saying I, I personally don't hang right over the food. Um, but it doesn't matter if it's public or private. I've been doing it for a long, a long yeah. time. And the, I mean, the deer, they just go to them. A lot of times it may be in the night. You just have to you know, put the three W's together and find out where they're going to be at. Day, like, yeah. I feel like, per, I feel like personally, and this is also a personal opinion. Like, if you're hanging right over field edges and food, you know, you're kind of just leaving it up to chance and hoping that they come during the daylight. Right, and it, it's successful, but you know, I I shoot a traditional bow, so I I can't shoot very far. So hunting a field edge, yeah. regardless, I'm just really limited on it. So I would rather be in a tight yeah. quarter area that I feel good about. And um, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much – that's how I do it in a, in a nutshell. I mean – Would you uh, – would you say you have, you know, food preference that, you know – I mean, I know Agfield is great, you know, if somebody's got standing corn or, you know, whatever. But if you're, like, hitting a new piece, you know, what what would you say that you're – you know, if food is king to you, what would you be like, okay, I would love to find this here? 
Man, my favorite food source of all time, if they leave it standing, is beans because they're good early and they're good late. Yeah. But I mean, like a lot of these large tracts of public I hunt, you know, they offer everything clover, beans, corn. Some places even offer radishes and, and turnips. But uh, yeah. you, it's just general rule, rule of thumb, you know, like um, the deer prefer green, a greener food source earlier in the season. And then, you know, later in the year, they gravitate towards the grain. So you, you just want to try to to think that, you know, keep that in the back of your mind, like, yeah stay stay on the green food sources and then a lot of times uh the the jury's talked about this year to, years ago but this this stays true to no matter what kind of land you're hunting whether it's public or private like they do the green to green transfer which happens a lot of times in like late september or early october like as soon as them beans start to turn a little bit them deer will stop them yeah and if you got like a good green food source around like buck oats wheat or clover like man that that's probably going to be fire yeah do you think do you think that they hit those like really green uh stuff early like that because of maybe the moisture in it as well you know i don't know um I know that that grain, they get a lot of uh, carbohydrates. They get a lot of energy out of it. I'm not sure about yeah. the green. I, I, it's just what they have always been around when it's when it's warmer outside. And I've I've yeah. paid a lot of attention and I've paid a, you know, took a lot of notes, and I just have not seen a whole lot of my deer when there are still uh, green beans or clover around. Uh, even if they cut the corn, like I still find the deer on the green yeah. food sources. We're talking early yeah. October or September. Yeah, like really, yeah, early. really early. And you think that they? I mean, it makes sense. You know, I mean, this has obviously been something that's talked about a lot, a lot. But like, it makes sense for them to go in like to grain or something like that later because they're also burning more, especially after the rut. Um, you know, during the rut, they're not really worried. I mean, they eat, but they're not as worried about food as they are as, you know, the rut. So, you know, after the rut, after the fact, you'd probably be like, you know, they're, they like the green stuff in the beginning. And then after the fact, they're trying to put back on, obviously, what they lost. And so they're getting a lot of carbs and, and stuff from like the grain as well. Yeah, you definitely get more carbs out of, the, out of corn than you do the other. And I think that, obviously, I think the deer know that. And that's why you find them, you know, later it's like a light switch, man. They'll almost completely quit using a clover field or, or something like that to go to corn when it's, or, or even beans if the actual bean pod when it's, when it's code. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's another thing. Um, since we're talking about food, like I scouted this piece in, in Kentucky and, uh, it is littered with locust trees. I mean, just littered and, you could tell, dude, where the deer were absolutely hammering those beans, those locust beans. And at first, I was like, oh, that's a good food source. You know, I might want to focus on this early or whatever, because I, I was um, uninformed, really, on that, on those beans, or like the beans that fall from those locust trees. I didn't know much about them. And, you know, someone told me, like, hey, like, this also might be, or that is kind of like a late season if we, if they can't find any other good late season food kind of thing, like they'll go and tear them up because, you know, it's not as good as 
whatever. They'll go and tear them up really late after the fact that they've already killed all the fields and whatnot. Um, so, I mean, that's something I've been kind of looking at is like the, the food source. Um, you know, I've also been, you know, like what is your take on, you know, water sources? I hate water. Do you I hate, hate it, man. I've done it for a long time and there's probably some people that have great success with water, but Maybe if you had one water source around, but man, water is so so yeah. easy to find around here. There's creeks, there's yeah. ditches, there's natural springs, and I just have had zero luck hunting water. Even when it was hot, I've had zero luck hunting it. But you know, there's yeah. always multiple water sources too. Um, but I guess, man, we could probably gear this towards like being efficient. Uh, with your trail cameras uh you know i i, I personally yeah. run 70 some people may only run 10 and yeah um one thing you can do with them like i think a lot of hunters nowadays they don't they do not give themselves enough credit they depend on gadgets or tools like tra- a trail camera is a great tool but it's like a double-edged sword it really can it can help you or it can hurt you and yeah i like to I like to use my cameras pretty much for the most part, probably 75% inventory. And mm-hmm. I like to stack my odds. I personally like to find the deer with the cameras and then whatever areas based upon sign first and my camera sightings have the most bucks per uh, acre versus not. I, that's where I like to go up. I definitely hunt like a coyote. I'm an opportunist. So if the four if the yeah. four hundred acres over here has five bucks on it and this other four hundred acres over here only has uh one shooter on it, but he's one sixty, I'm still gonna go where the four or five one thirties and one forties are. Yeah. And you you do that, man. You do that by being efficient by spreading your cameras out over a larger um track of land or or, uh, more acreage in between the cameras and what that does is that helps build your hit list Um, yeah it gives you a a broader span of your cameras so naturally you're going to pick up Mm -hmm. more deer Um, yeah i generally don't stack a bunch of cameras in a real tight area Um, yeah and so that may help some people out too as well you don't like, give me just an example of what you mean for a tight area, like acreage-wise. I won't put 10 cameras on 300 acres. Okay. Um, I may have 10 cameras on 800 acres um, because there's you cannot take away woodsmanship. And those, those cameras, like I said, they're double-edged sword, like – Mm-hmm. I had a buddy one time that was getting so frustrated because he, he was he could not get any shooter bucks on camera, but the deer sign was there, and it, what about what it boiled down to was his camera placement just wasn't that good, or the deer, I mean all the deer has yeah. to do is go around it, and yeah. then, so yeah. they can be very misleading, and like I was getting, for instance, he had like ten shooters and I had like thirty. And I was like, man, we're hunting the same property. The deer are there. You just, you cannot completely rely on these cameras. Like you need to 
back up, look at your map, look where you got them, <laughs> make a new game plan, and, and dive in with a new approach. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's see here. So, <clears throat> you, I remember we had talked before about, like, your average size of, of, of public tracks that you hunt. Isn't it, like, somewhere like 1,200 acres? Man, or I thought you said something like that. I typically, me personally, I don't like to step foot on something that's under 5,000. Okay. Well, I mean, you, that just – a 5,000 – I just – it just allows you to have more deer to hunt, more property to roam around yeah. on, and it holds more hunting pressure. Obviously, it gives yeah. the place – or it gives the animals more areas to hide in. Uh, I, yeah. And it takes a long time, or it took me a long time. Like, I'm not saying if you find 5,000 acres, go out and tackle it. Like, it, you have to break it down into sections, and you, it, cause it, it can get yeah. overwhelming. You know, like like yeah. last year, I hunted 170,000 acre track, and everybody's like, well, how did you do it? And all I did was <laughs> mark off an area, and it was about 5,000 acres that I thought that I could manage my cameras on, break down – figure out the when where and why my goals yeah. may be different than somebody else's goals and that's another that's sure. another thing that people just hunters today they just don't understand that you have to set your own goals like who cares, who yeah. cares what anybody else says or tells tells you what to do like set your own goals and do what you want to do if you yeah. want to hunt 5,000 acres, hunt 5,000 acres. If you want to hunt 1,000 acres, like you can do, hunt 1,000. If you want to shoot, you yeah. want to shoot a two-year-old deer, shoot a two-year-old deer. If you want to chase that deer of a lifetime, chase that deer of a lifetime. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely agree with you on that. But And I think that's something to be learned from a lot of people. The more you have fun and the more you enjoy it, the more the better – you are the more successful you are because man when you get tied up in that game i done it for a long time you get burnt out and you start making mistakes that you normally wouldn't have and so just have fun and enjoy it set your own goals and and get out there and get after it yeah so you know you went from 170 to 5000 cuz you you know you marked off a certain piece of that map you know, how, how many cameras do you run on that? So I typically, uh, my favorite WMA I hunt is a little over 5,000 acres, and I run about 70 mm-hmm. cameras on it. Uh, all all yeah. of my cameras generally go around the same areas as they did the year before. Mm-hmm. Not all of them. And, um, but that's how, that's how I do it. And I always keep some cameras with me that, the thing about when you run a lot of cameras or when you start running trail cameras, like you got to look at it as one big scouting mission. Like when you're checking these cameras, like, you know, keep yeah. your eyes open, like be looking for new sign. And I always have a couple floater cameras on me. And I realize like some people yeah. can't have that. But like if I, if I yeah. find some new sign or if I stumble upon something that I didn't know was there, I always have a camera with me. Or if I find, a, a 
couple good deer that are in an area and I and I want to hone in on them a little bit more like I'll I'll put another camera or two out in that area to kind of help me and I'm not checking these cameras very often man at minimum every two weeks some of them are once a month some of them are once a year yeah and you know it's funny real quick so last year you know uh, I remember me and you were texting a little bit and I was like, yeah, that deer got shot opening day. Um, that big one I was, you know, trying to kill. Uh, but that was one thing that hurt me. And I realized that was because me and my very good friend that were on this deer, we would go check those cameras constantly. And it was easy for him because he's two minutes from that, that place. And I was a little bit, you know, I was about 20 minutes, but it was just constantly like, well, we got to check the cam, we got to check the cam, we got to check the cam. You know, and I think that kind of hurt us a little bit. Um, and also, the, uh, and the reason being is because I, th- I feel like it might have made him more, we pushed it just too much. And so it kind of, and I might be wrong, but it kind of made him more visible during certain times because he was being bumped around. Um, or he might have moved from his normal, like, hiding because we were constantly getting, you know, trying to go check cameras. And I think that's one big thing for people to learn is, you know, you set a camera, you know, let that, let it sit there. Don't do, you do not have to go, you know, check that thing every three days or uh, once a week or, you know, once every two weeks, like let it sit there. Like I have a camera. I just said, I have only set one right now because I had this specific spot that I wanted to put one, but I got two days later, I had the urge to go check it. I'm like, I don't need to, you know what I mean? Like I do not need to be in there causing all kinds of ruckus, you know, leaving scent, you know, and I, it's obviously May, so we got a while to go. But, you know, I I want to give myself – I want to set myself up for success, not do anything to hurt it. You know what I mean? And I, th- I feel like that was one thing that I did that kind of hurt me in s- certain ways was because I was just kind of tromping around the place, you know, this or that. And so, you know, I, you know, not – you don't need to go check your camera every two days or every week. You know what I mean? Like, just like you said, you know, you, you have cameras out that you check maybe once a month or, you know, once, once a year. And I feel like that'd be something that people probably need to hear or, you know, learn. Well, man, when you start, when you start doing that, you'll realize like, and the the reason why I don't check some of these, but once a year is because I just don't have the time. I got four days a month to do it. But you'll realize when you leave a camera out over a period of time like that, you really figure out what time the, the, the year the deer were using it. Like, was it early season? Was yeah. it just the rut? Was it late season? And man, it there's things to go around this. Like the whole the whole cell camera thing right now is huge. And I yeah, they have their ups and downs. The thing about a trail camera picture is no matter what kind of camera it is, when it takes the picture, it's already past tense. Like it's already happens. So yeah. some of these people got these cell cameras and they think, well that deer's in there, I need to get in there. And, you know, depending on baiting situation, there's different things that can be said. But um, the cell camera kind of changes the game for me because it gives me more time to hunt. I get to spend, you know, less time um, checking certain cameras. And don't get me wrong, I love to check my cameras because I, it's, a, it's a scouting mission yeah. for me. But I love having these cell cameras in my so-called hot spots that are just my, my best spots. That way I can stay out of there. Uh, the, 
the camera does all the work for me. I don't have to spend the time walking back there to get it. It's not necessarily that, oh, a deer's in there. I need to get in there. It's I can stay out of there. It gives me a little bit more time to hunt, so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's funny because, like, you don't – you don't think that, you know, you're wasting much time when you go and check cameras constantly. You think you're actually kind of helping, but really you're just kind of being kind of productive, working against yourself um, in those situations. It's a double-edged sword. So you, when you when you have your trail cameras, let's just say you got ten trail cameras. Like you got to figure out what you want to do with those ten cameras. Do you want do you want to find yeah. deer or do you want to find a deer? And that dramatically yeah. sets up how you're going to put your cameras up. You know, if you're only chasing one deer, then your camera placement's going to be different if you're trying to find a broad uh, spectrum of bucks or, or, or trying to add a big hit list together. You know, your cameras Absolutely. are probably going to be a little closer together than what they typically would be. So yeah. just, you know, that, that's one thing to keep in mind too, like figure out what you what your goals are with your trail cameras. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's the whole thing with this, with this series is finding that one mature buck that you want to go after. You know what I mean? So like, do you want to find, you know, the couple two and a half year olds and then the entire family of does, you know what I mean? Like, you know, another 40 to 50 deer, or do you want to find that one mature buck? And I mean, you think about it, it's a big difference, you know, like this, that mature buck is, you know, taking the, taking the trail that he feels most comfortable on, you know, he's using the cover, he's using, you know, and it's not that deer don't, it's not that the does and the younger bucks don't do that, but, you know, when you survive as long as, you know, a mature buck has, he's he's smarter, you know, he's probably been shot at, he's probably been pressured, you know, so you can, you know, taking those to account, like, what are you going to do with those camps? You know, I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, that's, man, and that's why I like starting at the food. I don't care, like I said, I've said it a thousand times, I don't care if it's public or private. I don't care if the picture's nighttime or daytime. All you have to know is that the deer is there. That's it. I don't care if it's one o'clock in the morning. If you get a picture of the deer you want at one o'clock in the morning on the field, you know where he's feeding. Do the, do the homework, do the rest yourself. Start looking at, you know, possible bedding areas, or you may know from prior history, like, Oh, the deer bed back here. Oh, the buck beds on this point. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you want to get ballsy and you want to go out and look for the, for the bed um yeah it's i've always had my best luck at stacking my deer on food sources and i've been fortunate mm-hmm. man like i i won't lie there's been years where i've had over 40 pope and youngs on camera and it, it's yeah. it makes it so so much easier to kill a deer whether it's public or private if you've got that many bucks versus five yeah and then, so yeah. if you can find a hot food source like that, you know, just say you got three fields that you can hang on, hang cameras on, like I promise one of the three fields is probably going to be hotter than the other two. Yeah. Whether it's what kind of food it's yeah. in or if it's just a social gathering for the, for the deer, like that food source is going to be hotter than the other two. Typically, I always have better food sources than, you know, some of my fields are always better than the other ones yeah absolutely absolutely 
<laughs> man, that's good information. I feel like I, I love it. It's also it. what Go is ahead. it? Uh, I just like I, it's like all that is great information, and like you don't. It's something that to like you. you I t- you know I've take I got roughly two pages of notes right now, and it's like I'm looking at this stuff, and it's like it's not that it's like super like like advanced information like it's very basic but i think people overthink it and i'm one of those people like i overthink big time like you know you you've killed you know great bucks great deer and you've been you know like annually successful at at getting on these deer and you know your basic you know i would say underlying thing is i've i've just looked for the food you know what i mean and obviously, you know, you you put the cameras out to find the deer and stuff like that. But you're like, I, I look for the food. I look for the food. You know, it's like how many people are like, yeah, I like the food, but, you know, this, this and this. You know, it's but you've you're taking, you know, what you know and taking the food. And like you said, you know, there, other people might have different success on different things. But what works for you is, you know, you're finding the food. The food is important. And, you know, you, you basically said, you know, Buck, Buck is a slave to his stomach. You know, you want to find it. It doesn't matter if he's there at 1 a.m. or 1 p.m. You know, he's there, and that's, and that's what you need to know, you know, and then you figure out the when, where, and why. And I love that. It's very basic. It's broken down, you know, especially for, you know, I, I love every – my dad used to say this all the time, you know, you need to break it down Barney style for me. You know, break it down very simple, very understandable for, you know, for somebody like me. And I, I love that. I love this. Absolutely. I think the one thing that, that really does set me apart from a lot of people is like, I will always go straight to the food and a food source mm-hmm. on public property draws two things. It draws the deer's attention and the hunter's attention. But you know, yeah. you've got so many people out there that talk about finding the deer, but they just don't, that's all they do is talk. And I'm not trying to be negative, but like, you, you as an no. individual have to figure out how to find them to get an arrow in them. And that's what has set me apart. I've just done it for so long. And I've, I literally have taken so many notes, whether it be mental or on paper. And I've made so many mistakes, uh, not necessarily through failure, but through like what I would like to call success, like really putting effort into it and still failing and learning from it that, you know, I start at the food, I work my way back and I find the deer and I kill them. Yeah. Find and then kill instead of just going, Oh, I, you know, I found the deer and then just hoping, but you're, you're finding a way to find them and then, working that extra you know step doing what it takes to to put the arrow that's in. what it takes man you just at none of it's rocket science you don't need a bunch of magic pixie dust to get it done you don't need really expensive equip, equipment like you cannot buy woodsmanship i cannot preach about that enough you cannot buy woodsmanship. i agree with that and i don't care how many cameras you got like can't replace woodsmanship so if you don't have good woodsmanship then you're not going to get your trail cameras in the right place you're not going to use them correctly and it's just not going to work out very good for you yeah and that's one thing i wanted to work on this year you know i felt like i was not you know with the very little woodsmanship that i have that i feel like i have i was not trying to hone in or hone my skills with that 
you know, and that was something that I, you know, the 2020 started and I said this year, I want to work on that. You know, I want to work on, you know, plant, you know, and this kind of sounds goofy, but you know, certain plants or certain areas, you know, uh, you know, why are deer moving here through this time of the day? You know, maybe it's because, you know, something like, you know, the sun is facing on this side of the, whatever, you know, whatever it may be, I wanted to get better at it instead of just going, you know, Oh, I watched a video and somebody did this and just do it. You know what I mean? Like I want to learn and, 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 and really hone in skills as a, you know, using woodsmanship instead of just, you know, relying on expensive gear or, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah, man, that's what, I mean, I didn't come, I come up with the three W's myself. If you can answer that, like what time of the day is the animal coming through there? Where's he, where's he coming from and where's he going and why is he doing it? If you can answer them questions, like you just made it so much easier on yourself to kill the deer. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously there's more to yeah. it, hunting pressure, wind direction, wind speed. But if you can yeah. answer those three questions, man, that's, that's where I found my success. Yeah. So would, would I be, would I be incorrect in saying that wrapping this up and coming to the end is, Answer the three W's and you are going to set yourself up for success. Answer the three W's, set your own goals, and have fun. Like, have fun. Set goals. Set your own goals. Writing this down. Have fun. Have fun, man. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Dude, I, I'm so excited that I, you know, I started this and I got you on here to give me some knowledge and share it with me and can't wait to share it with other people. Josh, thank you for your time, brother. Thank you for getting on here and let me take notes and pick your brain a little bit. And, uh, just, just all I can say is thankful and I'm grateful for you to, to, you know, I know you're busy with family and other stuff like that. So just thank you for giving me your time and, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. All right, to get man. This well, out. good luck with the series, and I appreciate you having me on here, brother.